I'm Toby from Norwich, born and bred in Norwich. I won't mention football. Um, <laughs> to be honest, I'm not really a Norwich fan anyway, um, but, but there you go. Uh, married, three children, one wife, and just got our second dog. We're talking about leadership, um, and uh, <laughs> I'm happy for us to kind of go off piste a little bit, if that helps. Um, but before I kind of launch into anything, I want to ask you a question. What is the most important decision that you think you've made this week? Just think about your head for a minute. What's the most important decision you've made this week? And what shaped, what most shaped that decision for you? What was the biggest influencing factor upon that decision? We can talk about leadership principles or we draw principles from the scriptures, but actually it's the cross. Jesus said, didn't he, if you want to be my disciple, then take up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself. And then the more I looked in 2 Corinthians, the more you see how it shaped everything for Paul. It shaped his uh, preaching to the people when he says to the Corinthians, well, what do we preach? We preach Christ crucified. It shaped his pastoring of people. And it's fascinating when you start to look at how Paul engaged pastorally with people. If you're engaged in pastoral work, really, you've got to take people into the cross. Paul did that even with sexual ethics. When he said to the Corinthians, you know, you've been... You know, on a got be a body, whatever. Why? You've been bought at what? A price. What's the price? The death of Christ, the cross. And so, for Paul's pastoring of people, he's influenced by the cross. His life, he lived before the people. Two Corinthians five fifteen, he says that he died for all. The cross, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died, the cross, for them and was raised again. We're not negating the resurrection here. We're just saying when I've looked more that you see how the cross was so influential on every part of Paul's leadership. How he lived before the people, the decisions that he made, the way he pastored people, the way he spoke to people, the way he preached to people was the message of Christ and the message of Christ crucified. Because leadership is, I remember being told this years ago by uh, one of the leaders at King's, who's not there any longer, but just said to me, he said, when you're leadership, you're going to see the very best of people and you're going to see the very worst. You're going to see both and you're going to experience both. And it's really costly. And, and that's why we've got to come back to what Jesus said, just as a disciple, well, we're going to take up our cross. And therefore, as a leader as well, the cross needs to be the most influential factor on our lives. And so I thought about that in terms of, okay, so the cross needs to be the thing that brings shape to our lives. And one of the ways I've thought about this, and you may have come across this sort of thing before, but it's to think of your life like a boat. I personally find this helpful. I hope you do too. And when you think of your life as a boat, you've got your life under the water. This is your heart life. And this is your, this is your personal life. Under the water, no one really sees it. It's what your internal deal. And um, others have used this kind of image of the keel being, I think Gordon MacDonald, particularly in one of his books, talks about this. The keel of your life. Is it in place? Is there strength internally in your life? Because if there isn't, and we've seen this, we see it, don't you, when someone who has, it looks good above the waterline, and then suddenly the yacht capsizes which has happened recently with someone, and, and a prominent leader, and you're like, man, how did that happen? Well, it's because of this. What was going on below the waterline wasn't there. I used to work on yachts, um, some quite large ones, and I was glad they had a keel. Because when you hit storms, if that keel ain't in place, you are going over. And so our, our, our personal life is important. But then you've got our private life. And this is kind of here, behind closed, lo- closed doors, 
uh, in your home. Only, you know, hardly anyone sees this. And, and, and we don't understand a lot of it ourselves. God knows it all. In our private life, only a few people see it, like uh, you know, my kids, my wife, my dog, um, <laughs> friends who come round. There may be a few people see that part of your life, but some people have an inroad on that part, your private life. And then you've got your public life as a leader as well. That's kind of out on deck, that's in full view. And uh, you know, whatever you do, it might be in the workplace, like I say, but you're leading meetings or, or areas, you're managing people, whatever it is, you've got your public life. And then up here is the power of a leader in the wind, the sails, Holy Spirit. But what I want to say is this, with this, rather than going to this in detail, is that it's so, so important that there is coherence between all of these areas of our lives. That we're not one person here, and then another here, and then actually quite another here. But actually who we are here is who we are here and who we are here. Does that make sense? And what I believe is that if we make the cross the defining factor on our lives as disciples as Jesus and upon, therefore, our leadership, I think it will bring coherence between the whole. So things I'm going to run through now, I hope that they apply in different areas, as it were. But if there's going to be coherence between the whole, I, I want to be the same person here that I am here uh, and one of the things I, you know, I noticed a while back was just thinking the tone of voice that I use and recognising actually the tone of voice that sometimes I used with my family in private well if someone else had walked into my house at that point like a friend from church or someone like that or if I was in public I'd have probably used a, a different tone and realised hang on this is out of kilter I know what I want. Well, what saves me? <laughs> oh, Jesus, thank you. And you come back to the cross again. Well, how does the cross shape the way I speak, even? And how does it shape my internal life under here, which will affect that here as well? And how I react to situations, how I react to my children. Does that make sense? Anyone else relate to it? <laughs> right, good. So we need the cross to shape us. So I want to look at some things that should bring coherence in our lives. And... and, and the cross was this message that, that Paul took into Corinth, this cosmopolitan place. And, and it was, it, that's why it's called foolishness. It is ridiculous. The more you drill into the cross, actually, and, and what happened there, and then Paul goes into this cosmopolitan kind of, um, I don't know, you know, people are kind of on sort of cutting edge of society and all the rest of it. And Paul goes in. They're looking for the deep thinker. They're looking for the strong kind of warrior type. And Paul goes in with a crucified Messiah. It is nonsense, quite frankly. It, it, nothing should have happened. And so this message we have, actually, is, it is foolish. It, it really is foolish. I was chatting to a friend who was a, he's not a, not a Christian, and um, we were talking about this. And I just, more and more I was talking about the cross, how nuts it is. And unpacking that a little bit, how crazy it is. And they turned around and said, well, do you know what? I kind of find that pretty convincing. <laughs> so What? Because there's something so, so, so unique about the cross. You just don't find it anywhere else. You really don't. So it's not just at the centre of our beliefs, as it were, but it's the centre of everything we do. Anyway, let me give a few things that hopefully help us in terms of that will shape us as leaders. Um, the first is this, that the cross-shaped leader is compelled by love. 
Now technology, and this isn't working. I'm having a great time with technology. The cross-shaped leader is compelled by love. And in 2 Corinthians, if you've got a Bible, do turn to 2 Corinthians. We'll sort of skip around a little bit. But 2 Corinthians 5, 14. Maybe well known to some, but Paul says, For Christ's love compels us, because we're convinced that what? That one died for all, and then for all died. For Christ's love compels us. There was something about the love of God that in the cross of Christ. That's where the, you want to know God loves you? It's the cross. Just deepen your knowledge of the cross, of what Jesus went through for you. And you will know God's love in new measures. And you'll know his commitment to you in new measures. And Paul knew this in spades. He knew the love of God in his life. And one who went from persecuting the church um, to, to loving, deeply loving the church. And uh, Massive change in his life. It was the consuming and compelling force upon his life. And what we find from 2 Corinthians is a few things to do with love. Number one is this, that love moved Paul in his emotions. I love this, that Paul was not emotionally detached from the people that he led. He wasn't emotionally detached. Sometimes you hear people say, you know, leaders need to be thick-skinned and soft-hearted or whatever that means. But we're not always thick-skinned, actually. Sometimes we're quite thin-skinned and things get to us and they hurt. But Paul says this, 2 Corinthians 2.4. Just listen, listen to the words here. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 4. I wrote to you out of great distress and anguish of my heart and with many tears. Not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. I wrote to you out of great distress, anguish in his heart, many tears. Not to grieve you, but to let you know the depths of my love for you. It's pretty emotional, isn't it? Tears, grieving, anguish, because I love you so much. Jesus was not unemotional. He was moved with compassion. When you see leading up to the the cross how Jesus wept. In the Garden of Gethsemane, how Jesus says, you know, take this cup from me. He felt weakness, he felt fears and all the rest of it. Jesus was engaged, he loved people. He was moved in the gut, you know, for, for people. He, he loved people. And it's so important we know that, 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 that if we're going to lead people, people need to know that they're loved. And if we're feeling, I don't know, lack of love, just pray for God's heart for the people that you lead. Pray for God to break your heart for those people because it needs to shape everything that we do. But remember that our emotions are not going to be detached. We'll be moved emotionally when we lead people. Um, this love led Paul to sacrificial action. I love this in 2 Corinthians twelve fourteen. Paul shows and says this. He says, I will gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. If I love you more, will you love me less? In twelve fourteen, he's talked about how as a parent, a child shouldn't save up for their parent, but a parent saves up for their child. And that's right, isn't it? That's what we do. If you're a parent, if you've got kids, I don't go to my kids and say, look, we've got family holiday coming up. How's the saving going? Yeah, my little boy Ethan's 12 years old, mate, you've got flights, you know, want to book them. You don't do that, you save up for your kids and you, you give sacrificially in that way. And in the same way, when we lead people in love, it will lead to sacrificial action. Again, this is just mirroring the cross. When you see God's ultimate love is in the cross, Christ on the cross. He gave himself for us. There's a great quote by Fleming Rutledge in her excellent book, The Crucifixion, where she says, True power is best seen in a life willingly given away or offered as a sacrifice for the benefit of others. 
True power is best seen in a life willingly offered as sacrifice for the benefit of others. Cross-shaped leaders don't try and advance their own interests at the expense of others, but rather advance others' interests, often at the expense of themselves. It's costly to lead. It's costly to shepherd. But when we love people, it will lead to sacrificial action, just as Paul did, just as Jesus did. And this love opened Paul up to rejection. Where did Jesus face his greatest moment of rejection? The cross. He faced his greatest moment of rejection in his his greatest act of love. And so when we're loving people, sometimes that love will be rejected. And with Paul, that happened as well. 2 Corinthians 6, 11 to 12. Paul says, we've spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We're not withholding our affection from you. So we're pouring out our love for you. Paul is is saying, look, we love you guys. We're for you. We want the best for you and so on. But he says, you are withholding yours from us. And he makes an appeal to them in chapter 7, verse 2, and he says, please make room in your hearts for us. As a leader, when you are, you, 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 you put yourself in a place of vulnerability when you love people, don't you? The cross was the most vulnerable place. And so if we're going to love in the cross, we're going to lead like Jesus led and be cross-shaped, leadership will put us in a place of vulnerability where people can then abuse that as well and sometimes reject that. And sometimes as a leader, you will pour yourself into people. I remember once, um, Jean and I, I, my wife, um, a couple who had come along to King's and and we felt heart for them, and we poured our lives into them. We became really good friends with them. Um, we shared our lives with them. We opened our hearts to them. And then they, it was bizarre. It was like something just turned in them. And it got horrible. And I can't say what happened. There was a, yeah, horrific at one point, actually with one of the things they did against a member of our family. And you're like, what? But we poured our lives into you. And so as a leader, learning how do you handle those moments is massively important. How do we handle the moments where that love is rejected? Because it will happen. It can happen in families, it can happen in homes, it can happen in workplaces, it can happen in life groups, and it can happen in teams. And it's painful. But that's why we need to keep the cross central. Because if we keep the cross central, we will know that actually to lead in the way that God calls us to leave, lead is going to be painful sometimes. If we keep the cross central, we know there's going to be a cost to it sometimes, and therefore when it happens, we're not surprised. Okay? So that's the first thing. The cross-shaped leader is compelled by love. Jesus said, didn't he, if, if, if you're going to follow me, look, hey, they persecuted me, they rejected me, it's going to happen. Jesus has given us a heads up on this when he said, take up your cross follow me, the same's going to happen to you. And so often these things are happening. It's like, well, surely that shouldn't happen. No, it's going to happen. Just fact, it's going to happen. If we love, it will be rejected and it will be abused at times. And that's why learning how do we handle that is really important, which kind of takes me to the second thing here, is the cross-shaped leader is always reliant on grace. Um, 
first of all, in terms of even the, what God calls us to and our ministry. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.18. He says, through Christ, he talks about Christ, and he says, who gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He's given us the ministry. <coughs> ministry isn't a right. It's not something you get promoted to through you know, stages or whatever, or hierarchical thinking. It is a gift from God. And therefore, if ministry is a gift, then actually, I haven't got to try and make something happen. The terms, the way I try and try and think about it and try to learn to walk in this is that if ministry is a gift that God, in other words, God gives us in things, then actually the pressure's off because I've not got to try and make something happen and the power's on because it's a gift. Yeah? Pressure's off. We can put pressure on ourselves. If you lead in anything, you put pressure on yourself and the power is off. That we're a steward of the gift that God gives us, so we do have a responsibility to steward what God gives us, but we're not the source of it. We're not the source of it. So we haven't got to try and create things and make things happen, so it takes that kind of pressure off. Um, for Paul, godly character flowed from grace as well. 2 Corinthians 1.12, he says, We've conducted ourselves in the world, and especially with you, with integrity and godly sincerity. And we've done so relying not on worldly wisdom, but on God's grace. There's something about the God's, God's grace in his life that changed his character, that shaped his decisions, how we approach situations. And, and, and grace is so huge and broad in so many ways. And we want the grace of God to shape our lives. Paul says we've renounced secret and shameful ways. We don't use deception. We don't distort the word of God. And also in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, when Paul says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I'm reminded that the difficulties that we face, even those moments of rejected love, or when someone turns on you or says something, or you face a situation that you think this is too hard for me, Paul says, my grace is, God says, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm reminded the difficulties I face never exceed the sufficiency of his grace. The difficulties we face in any and every situation we face will never, ever exceed the sufficiency of God's grace to us. He's promised that. I remember ages ago, I had a, what I call my bathroom floor moment. And um, it was uh, when I'd just taken on the lead elder role. This was about seven years ago, and we were moving house and um, that was, it was tough, I mean, for all sorts of reasons. It was just a really tough season. The first six months of taking on the lead elder role, I was kind of said to Goff afterwards, right, I've had my probation, you can have it back now. Um, and six months in, we were moving house, it was all about to fall through, loads of stuff was going on, we hit four massive pastoral things, and loads of stuff was kicking off. And I just got to the point, I was sitting on my bathroom floor and weeping, and just saying, God, I cannot do this. It was a moment of absolute weakness, of thinking, Lord, this is too hard, this is too difficult. But it's in moments like that, it's only when you kind of hit the end, genuinely the end of yourself, that you think, God, if either your grace is sufficient here to, to help us and to enable us and empower our lives, or we're just in trouble. And I think in leadership it's like that, that the, the more you do, the kind of, you take steps and you think, oh, the more you realise you can't do it. The more you realise you don't know, the more you realise you need God, and the more reliant you are on his grace for everything that we do. And so I'm reminded the difficulties I face will never exceed the sufficiency of his grace. Discouragement doesn't win the day. And the answer, as Joel's been saying this morning, is to focus on Christ. Hebrews says that, you know, consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men that you will what? Not grow weary 
and lose heart. So the antidote to not growing weary and losing heart is to consider Jesus. It comes back to the cross. Consider him. Think about the cross. Think about what Jesus did. Focus on him. Fix your eyes on him, but make the cross. Consider him who endured opposition. Well, the greatest opposition Jesus endured was on the cross. It's there. And you find as you do that, it's like God will bring a strength into your life. It's like, ah. And then you start to understand about weakness as well, which we'll get to in a minute. But I want to ask you a question. What areas of your life and leadership are you learning right now that God's grace really is sufficient? What areas of your life right now do you feel that you're learning that God's grace really is sufficient? Just okay, the third thing that I see in Paul is that the cross-shaped leader is humble in attitude. As you go through um, 2 Corinthians, you start to see the humility of Paul sort of shine through. When he says things like in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 5, for what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. Um, he says in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 to 9, and I find this fascinating in terms of, you know, people talk about oversharing and as leaders and, and, and things. And, and, and Paul is incredibly both vulnerable and humble, I think, in the beginning of 2 Corinthians when he writes to this church and just says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. You know, he doesn't say, yeah, it was kind of fine, and we had a few blips in the road and a couple of leadership moments, but really everything's pretty cool. He says, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. When was the last time a leader sort of said in, in a life group, now there is a th- we'll get to oversharing, oversharing, but the point is, is that when was, you know, do you know what, I'm finding it incredibly hard to the point where, do you know what, I'm despairing of life. Wow. I'm at that point. I don't think I can go on. And Paul didn't just share this to the, a church. Now 2,000 years later, how many other people know? Yeah. And there's something about Paul's humility in this, that he's not trying to prove himself. In fact, the Corinthians didn't think he was that impressive. I really like that. There's a bit in 2 Corinthians where they say, do you know what, he says in his speaking, he's really quite unimpressive. I really find that encouraging. Um, I think, oh, good. <laughs> good. The Apostle Paul, people didn't think he was an impressive communicator. Do you know what? Paul wasn't out to impress people about who he was. Paul was out to impress people about who Christ is. That's the difference. He wasn't out to try and win favour with people or kind of think people think he was the best orator in the world or whatever. That wasn't the deal. That's why we, we, pre- we preach Christ. We speak about Christ. We point people to Christ. And if you're leading, again, the influence of the cross on your life is it's like, as the cross influences you, ah, oh, that's what it's about. You'll speak about that more. And I believe we'll be more effective in our leadership of people as well. Because then the cross will shape their lives more. Jesus will shape their life. Well, Paul's humble in his attitude. He, he learned to rely on God and we preach ourselves as servants. Love that. That's all we are. What, what's Apollos? What's Paul? What? what, what? Oh, we're slaves. In fact, Paul says at one point, doesn't he? I can, uh, you know, the, he talks about in one of those, you know, with, with scrapings off the bottom of the shoe, basically. Paul says in 2 Corinthians again that we have this treasure in what? Jars of clay. A jar of clay is not impressive. You don't look at a jar of clay and go, well, you know, thousands of people are going to visit this jar of clay. 
A jar of clay, by definition, is not impressive. And one thing I'm convinced of, actually, is that I think people are meant to look at us and they're meant to look at our churches and they're meant to go, you, that, and, and what we're doing and what God does through us. I think they're meant to look at it and go, that shouldn't happen. Yeah. I, don't, I think people should look at church and say that shouldn't work. Yeah. When you look at the diversity of people that are together and they are genuinely loving one, deeply loving one another, people should look at that and go, it doesn't work. You're not an impressive people. You're not impressive and we don't have to try and be impressive. And I think as a leader, that's really important to, to kind of put that one to rest. Because if we, if we lead out of a place where I've got to impress, oh man, you're on a, a loser there and then. And the other thing with leaders is this, where humility comes in and God will humble us, is that... Is that we, we, we don't have to compare ourselves then to others. Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. I am who I am. By the grace of God, I am who I am. And, 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 and it's so easy as a leader, it's so easy to look around a room like you blokes like this and to kind of, well, they're a bit like that and compare yourself to others. And we all do it. We all do it. Look, I don't compare myself to a virtuoso violinist or a, a, a computer programmer or whatever or a doctor. Because I can't do any of those things. I'm really happy for them to do a much better job than me on all of those things. I compare myself to other leaders, and other Christian leaders, and other church leaders. And God had pinned this on me a couple, few, well, three or four years ago now. Because in Norwich, we've, we've literally got every stream, denomination, whatever of church have come into Norwich. Hillsongs, HTB, two Hillsong churches actually, not just one. Um, everything, Bethel, you name it. And I found it kind of like, oh my goodness, this is, I'm comparing myself a little bit here. And so I was like, God, my prayer for a while was, God, kill comparison in me. Just kill it in me somehow. And what I found was, was what was lying at the root of my comparison, which was envy. And then I thought, well, how do you kill envy? Love. Because love does not envy. So I thought, right, while I'm comparing myself to another person, I'm not loving them. And I'm commanded to love. And I cannot love someone while I'm comparing myself to them. And I realised I was not loving my brothers. I wasn't loving their churches. And so then you realise, ah, now I can, what does love say? Well, I start to love. Had, had, well, it looks different, you know, different things, but you start to pray for, want the best for, encourage them, go out of your way in that, and suddenly you find that comparison starts to get killed. It doesn't mean the temptation isn't still there, but uh, it means it starts to kill it. And also, if we're humble as well, we don't have to pretend everything is fine, like Paul didn't do. He didn't say, oh, fine. And again, there's appropriate sharing with people, different settings and all the rest of it, but sometimes we've got to find a way of sharing with people, actually, that, that those that we lead, if, if, if we don't give them a window in, like Paul does, to his struggles, they're going to think that you're just okay as a leader. And the leaders are kind of sorted people, and until I'm in that place, I can't really lead others. We're not, and we struggle. And I heard one person put it this way. They said that it's like Paul shares the contours of his struggles, but not necessarily the core of them. Okay, he doesn't go into massive in-depth when he talks about there are fears within and pressures without. But he says it, I've got fears within. I've got some internal battles going on here and I've got some external pressures coming here which I'm finding hard at the minute. He kind of shares the contours. And that's a helpful thing because we've got to work out what appropriate vulnerability looks like and in what settings do we share. But I would say as a leader, it is really important that you do find people and have people that you run with and you do share as much as you can this part of your life. 
that there are some people that just know the very worst about you, <laughs> the struggles that you go through, the darkness in your heart and those sorts of things, and who are utterly for you and with you. What you've got to ask is when you share your vulnerability, is this genuinely help, is this helping the other person? Because actually sometimes when we share vulnerabilities, it can be very disempowering for someone um, because they can't actually help or uh, they haven't got the maturity to handle it or whatever it might be. And so therefore, actually, you're not loving that person well by being totally vulnerable about whatever it is you, you want to share. Does that make sense? So you need to almost ask yourself about the other person. Is this serving them well as, as well as is it helping you offload? Otherwise, you go around kind of offloading to everyone. It's just not helpful. Yes. The aim is to, for people to go, the gospel is works. Yes. The, 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 cross, the gospel really does save us from that. Look, he was there and now he's there. Wow. That's what the gospel does. You show how Jesus has rescued you in and from that situation. Um, one of the things I shared a little while ago, and, and I didn't share this in early years, but I was groomed in my teens by a paedophile. It didn't go to physical, thankfully, but he emotionally abused me, taking advantage of when my dad died when I was like seven years old. And, um, and, and so I didn't talk about that for quite a long time because I had to process it. But now I've started talking about it a little bit more. And even the preacher, I mentioned it the other week. And I know it's landed in a few people's lives where that vulnerability has helped people to see, oh, so how did you forgive how do you get to the point of not wanting to kill that guy? Yeah. Yes. You know? and, and to actually maybe love them. What do you, how did you do that? And you, so sometimes it's a timing thing on, on when we share. And I think if in doubt, talk to people around you before you do share stuff publicly or in a life group or, or whatever. Um, I mean, wasn't Jesus vulnerable in the Garden of Gethsemane? You know, take this cup from me. My, my soul is overwhelmed. <laughs> Jesus was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. You know, it's like he was emotionally vulnerable at that point. A cross-shaped leader is aware of their weakness um, and walks in godly authority. Let me just do this quickly because I want to leave you on this actually and I want you to think about it. You may have come across this before but this is from a chap called Andy Crouch from a book called Strong and Weak. It's an excellent book. It's very small. But he, you know when someone kind of takes two ideas and puts them into something and helps you kind of go, that's it. Now, that's helpful. And, and, and what he does, he takes authority and vulnerability or authority and weakness. And both you see Paul talks about his weakness a lot in 2 Corinthians. But also Paul talks about authority. He talks about the authority has given me. What for? For the building up of you for, you, for the benefit of others. That's what authority is always used for. And so what Andy Crouch is, he takes these two things and said, actually, the cross. Jesus is his most vulnerable, but it is most authoritative in a way. Defeating Satan, sin and death. Right? It's meaningful capacity to action. And so actually as a Christian, this is where we are called to live. And if we're going to lead, this is going to be happening all the time. And so he uses the term flourishing here. This is what flourishing looks like. Walking with authority, but walking in vulnerability. If we have authority, but with no vulnerability, we end up in exploitation. Exploiting people, dictating, controlling leadership, that kind of stuff. And what happens when you get controlling leadership is what? People suffer. You see this in countries, don't you, with dictators and so on and so forth. When you have exploiting leadership, you have people who have high vulnerability but low authority. They can't have, there's no meaningful capacity for action. That's why when we talk about um, in Pathways and Poverty and helping people step out of poverty, it's, it's empowerment. We're trying to empower them. 
Okay, and flourishing is here. When you move away from capacity, meaningful capacity to action and meaningful exposure to risk, you withdraw. We do this in escapism, holiday, cruise ship, whatever it might be. It's down there. Uh, video games are down there. <laughs> in terms of there's this pseudo thing going on there. You think you've got meaningful capacity for action maybe as you go around shooting people. You think you're exposing yourself to risk and like you're this soldier and you're not. And for most people in our culture and... and Blokes, sometimes, this is, where we tend, this is where we tend to live more, down here in withdrawing. And so all cross-shaped leadership is up here. And so every step you take as a leader, in whatever capacity that you lead, meaningful capacity for action, there will be, if you're walking in the cross-shaped way, vulnerability and weakness. Both. So I was... I was in my office the other week and just praying, and I was, we've been making some decisions and, about the way to move forward in some certain things across Kings, meaningful capacity for action. And I was sitting there feeling really vulnerable and really weak and really like, oh, my goodness, oh, I just, oh, we make the right decisions. What are we doing? And then and I've got this on my wall now because I just kind of keep it there to remind me. And I looked up and saw it. I thought, oh, yeah, that's why. We're taking some steps, and I'm feeling this now. Because every step here, you need to have this and expect this. And that's why Paul says we boast about our weaknesses. We boast about our weaknesses. It's not a ba- our weakness is not a barrier to God's work in the world. Quite the opposite, in fact. Paul says we learn to boast about weaknesses, which means we boast about our, in, our inability to achieve anything of God's kingdom within ourselves at all. We haven't got anything. And as we do that and we give up kind of the sense that we have to make stuff happen, then we do feel very vulnerable. But that's okay. That's okay, because that's what the cross is. We're becoming more like Christ, and we're flourishing more as well. And this can be in the way we lead others as well. I've tried to encourage our, our cafe staff at King's in the way that they're helping people flourish. Because you think sometimes, oh, it's all about this and that and whatever. Sometimes it can be about helping someone make a salad. Seriously. Because we've got people who come along who maybe have certain difficulties in life and mental health issues and things. And so when they're given the opportunity to cut some lettuce up and make a salad, that's meaningful capacity for action. But also they're experiencing vulnerability as well, because there's exposure to risk. They're using a knife. What if they make the salad wrong? Does that make sense? What, what if it, people think it's not very nice? But you're helping them to flourish as they do it. And so in our leadership, when we talk about authority, authority is always for the benefit of others. Jesus' authority was always for the benefit of other people. And it's to help people flourish and move up and right as well. And we could unpack this loads more and talk about things, but hopefully that makes sense. Flourishing, exploiting, withdrawing, suffering. And so in the last three or four minutes, think about how do I take a step? What would it look like for you as a leader to flourish more in life and become more Christ-like and more cross-shaped? What's maybe a meaningful step in capacity? How will that make you feel vulnerable? But what would it mean for you to step more up and right in your own leadership? There's a great phrase by a chap called Oswald Chambers. Do what's nearest and trust God. You know, whatever it might be, do what's nearest. And it's kind of like that. Well, what is it next for each one of us? Um, but I just want to pray what Paul says at the, in 2 Corinthians 12, when he says that, Therefore I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Why? So the Spirit of Christ might rest on me or tent upon me. 
you know, and, uh, and he goes on, that's why if, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. But I'll boast all, all the more about my weaknesses that the Christ's power might rest on me. And I don't know what way you lead. I don't know where you're leading. I don't know what your biggest challenge is at the minute. But boy, do we need Christ to rest on us, <laughs> don't we? So let's just pray that before we go off. Lord, that is what I pray. We stand, we're not impressive. We're not trying to impress. Lord, wherever we're leading, workplace, home, whatever. But I thank you the gospel rescues us out of our deepest pit. But we can boast about our inability to save ourselves or that we contribute anything to it, Lord. And as we boast about that, as we acknowledge that, say, you know, we're not really impressive. But Lord, would you rest on us? Tent upon us with your presence. And I pray even as the rest of this day goes on, maybe different things you're facing or situations, I want to pray, Holy Spirit, you would impress some steps to take, some next steps, whatever it might be, in each one of our leadership, whatever step that might be, that we would be like Christ. And we would flourish in leadership, and it's vulnerable, it's hard, we suffer, but Lord, it's for the sake of others, just as you did, Jesus, on the cross. And so I want to pray, Holy Spirit, you know each one personally, so speak in that way, the next step we need to take in the way that you've called us to lead others. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.